Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're going to begin with verse 1. Very familiar passage of Scripture about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And being Thanksgiving, I, I, I wanted to look at the last part of Thanksgiving, the giving part. Uh, giving our lives to God. And <clears throat> look at some things out of this passage that I think will apply to us. It says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And then a great multitude followed him, because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. So they're really following Jesus for what they can get out of him. There's a lot of people that do that today, be warned. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. The Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? No Walmart there. But, but this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus always knows what he's going to do. We just have to clue in. Philip answered, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have just a little, just a pinch. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Jesus said to them, Make the people sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number, about 5,000. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise, fish as much as they wanted. Well, boy, an all-you-can-eat fish buffet. And so then, when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today that you just allow us to be here. Uh, Lord, we live in a free land and others have to hide when they come aside for worship. Thank you for those who guard our freedom even now. Thank you, Lord, for their service. Thank you for those who gave the ultimate price. Be with them today and their families. And Father, you just watch over them. Father, watch over our missionaries that are serving around the world in dangerous places Sharing your gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And Father, right now by the power of your Holy Spirit, calm our hearts and minds. Remove those things that would keep us from hearing from you, but also from responding to you. And Lord, let your will be done. And let Jesus be glorified in our midst. These things I pray in his name. Amen. There was a new church starting in Michigan. And uh, they were so excited, the walls were up, and they brought the trusses to start laying the trusses. Forty-six foot long, 48 of them. The pastor was so pleased to see the work going. And as the church gathered there to dedicate the trusses that day, he shared this story with them. He said, there's 
really a story here that needs to be heard about these trusses. What had happened was there was a very wealthy lawyer who served in the political arena in Washington, D.C. He came back south to a large city where he was from after a particularly stressful uh, season there in Washington. And as he drove uh, from where he stayed to where he had to get, he went through a poor section of town in that large southern city. And he saw this little boy wandering around. And after about a week of seeing him wandering around, he finally stopped. Asked where his parents were. He didn't have any parents. Where's your home? I don't have a home. And so for the next week or two, he tried to find out where the boy's parents were. They were dead. No family that he could find. And so the lawyer adopted him and raised him as his own. He lived long enough, the lawyer did, to see the young man uh, get into a good profession and, and also to have a family of his own. And sure enough, when he died, that influential, wealthy lawyer left everything to his son. But he had one condition, that he would use the inheritance to help others. Those trusses were his inheritance as he helped others. See, he made good on his inheritance. He illustrates for us one of life's greatest privileges and actions. It's the privilege and responsibility of the opportunity to give. To give to God's work in the kingdom of God. Now, before you tune me out, before you try to shut me down, I'm not preaching on tithing this morning, so (gasps) relax. You see... I want us to understand that God can and will use our resources and us to bless others. God can and will use us and our resources to bless others. However you want to say that. Each of us have potential. We have gifts that God has given us. We have the potential to bless others or not bless others. And what I really want you to understand is this. God wants to use us, and Satan wants to misuse us. And we get to decide which we will go. And so I wanted to look at two or three things about who gets your lunch. That's what I've described it because, you see, our gifts are our lunch. Our gifts are just like this boy's. They're our lunch. And who do we give them to, God, or let Satan use them? So who gets your lunch, church? You have to decide this morning before you leave this place. The first thing I see here is notice in verses 1 through 9, the lad. We've read about him. It says that Jesus is gone and he performed the diseases and healed them. And and he goes up on the mountain and he sees them and and he sees this multitude. And and then he said, how are we going to feed them? You see, that's, that's the story. This is one of the sign passages in the book of John. There are seven sign passages that show Jesus is the Messiah. They're followed by the great I am statements that Jesus makes. See, there's a sign and then Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. There's a sign, I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. On and on it goes. There's seven of them throughout the book of John that point to Jesus as God's Messiah, God's Savior for the world. And that's where we are. You see, we need to understand that 
That's the story. And it picks up as Jesus has been teaching them. The other gospels tell us it was a deserted place. Away from everything else. Away from towns. The gospels tell us that there was a large crowd just as this one does. 5,000 men is what they say. You need to understand they counted the men. They didn't count the women and the children. There could be 5,000 only men, but more than likely, there are women and children and families there to see Jesus and bring others to Jesus. So most scholars think between ten and 20,000 people is who he's going to feed. There he is. And then I noticed not only the story, but the small. Andrew, when you see Andrew in Scripture, he's always bringing somebody to Jesus. You know, that, that's, a good, that's a good disciple, bringing somebody to Jesus. And here he is this little bitty boy. And think about it. Here's this little Jewish boy. Now, I don't know where he came from. In my mind, here's the story. He gets up early that morning. He hears that the great rabbi Jesus is passing by. And he asks mom and dad, can I go? Can I go? Can I go? Well, yes, you can go. I can see his mama packing his little lunch. He wraps it up in some cloth. He takes it. He's so proud he's got his little lunch. He's going to sit and hear Jesus and hope that Jesus does some miracles. How excited he must have been. How proud that he was big enough to go by himself. And what wonder was in his eyes when Andrew took him to meet Jesus. And he watches as Jesus takes his lunch as he obediently offers it to help. But see in verse 9, even that help. Andrew says, but what are they? Two fish and five little loaves. Five little loaves about this size. Barley loaves. Two dried fish. A meal for somebody that's poor. And you see, he's excited as it's presented to Jesus. Now, what are the specifics? Remember what I said. God wants to use it and Satan wants to use it. So if you want to be used by God as a disciple as you go through, there are certain things you need to give, and I'm going to mention some. I can't remember if I put them in your outline or not, but write them down. The first one is relationship. You need to carry relationship through your life. By relationship, what I mean is, do you have a love relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you come to the point of your life of saying, He is the Savior, I am a sinner, I have placed my faith in Him and repented of my sins, and I have a relationship with Jesus? It's the only thing that will do. See, he didn't say if you were a Buddhist or a Baptist, you're okay. He didn't say that. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. But we have to give to Jesus our hearts, our lives, our minds. Have you come to that point yet to carry that relationship through life? There's no better relationship in all of life because, you see, your relationship with Jesus will outlast this physical life. It is a forever relationship. But not only is it only through Jesus, realize it's a grace gift. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it this way. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. In other words, it is the gift of God. The grace is a gift. The very act of you responding in faith is a gift from God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized. You can be so baptized that your feet have webs on them. 
If they do, don't tell me about it because I'm going to make fun of them. But you need to understand, he didn't say that. didn't say how much money you gave to the church, what good works you did. He said, by grace through faith, you've been saved. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Our Heavenly Father would have been the cruelest Father ever if we could have worked our own way to heaven and gotten there. And yet he made Jesus die that death on the cross. So it's Jesus only. It's by grace. And do you realize most people miss out on what God really wants them to have? See, in Matthew 6... You start reading and they're talking about the needs we have and how we worry about things. And in verse 22, he says, your father knows what you have need of. And in verse 23, I think it is, you know, 32 and 33, I knew I was getting it mixed up. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and then all these things you worry so much about. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see, you need relationship with Jesus a deep, intimate relationship where he takes care of you. But not just a relationship. If you're going to be used of God and give to God, take respect with you. I think respect is missing in our society at all levels. Don't just say it's the young people because I've met many, many disrespectful older folks. Okay? It's something we have to guard against, those of you like me, with getting gray hair and grayer and grayer. What's not turning loose is turning gray. And we get a little bit jaded and we lose a little bit of our respect. And and respect is this, respect for self and respect for others. Do you remember the first and greatest commandment? What did Jesus say it was? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. We respect us and we respect others. That's what God wants. Satan wants to twist that. Get yours while you can get it. Use them up. Don't worry about the other guy. And that's exactly the opposite of what Christ desires in our life. You see, we need to understand that. He wants us to exalt self, and Jesus wants us to be humble. Isn't that what James says when he says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due time he will exalt you, because God resists the proud, but exalts the humble. So take relationship, take respect, take responsibility. What do I mean by responsibility? You see... Jesus told us in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 13 through 16, he said, You are the salt of the earth, but the salt loses its flavor. What's it good for except to be tossed out and trampled under the feet of men? He goes on and says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You don't light a light and put it under a bushel basket. You put it on a, a lampstand so that everybody receives the light in the house. Let me translate that for you when I say that we're responsible. It means we are to walk in such a way as determined disciples for Jesus. We have a witness. We have a testimony. We, uh, wherever we're at, for as long as we live, we're to be salt and light for Jesus. It's called responsibility. And I don't know if I left it blank or if I... Put something else in there. You can call it rolls. I just called it whatever else. 
What I mean by that, the little list I gave you is not complete. You see, God is going to add to your giftedness. God is going to use you if you will surrender to Him. He's going to add things to your life to tell others about Christ, to help you grow as a Christian. And you are responsible for whatever else as you walk with Him that He gives you. We need to ask, are, are we doing that? You see, are we like the lad and obediently giving what we have? Our time, our talents, our tithe, our love, our compassion. Well, I just have a little bit, Brother Gary, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Do you not realize, here, here's you an equation. A little is a lot with Jesus. A little is a lot with Jesus. The guy who wrote My Country Tis of Thee, Samuel Smith, was on a mission board. And they were discussing shutting down a church in India. It had been there 10 years, and they'd only reached 15 people. And they thought maybe the money would be better used elsewhere. And they called it the Lone Star of India. The only bright light. As he began to think about that that night, as they were going to vote on it the next day, he wrote this little ditty. Shine on, Lone Star, in grief and tears. Shine on, Lone Star, in sad verses, oft baptized. Shine on, Lone Star, amid thy founder's fears. Lone stars in heaven are not despised. When he shared that with the mission board that was making that decision the next day they voted to leave it open for just a little while longer well in 10 years they only had 15 in the next 30 years that little church won 30,000 people to Christ a little is always a lot with Jesus but I just don't see the lad here I see the lack see In verses 5 through 9, it says, Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said, Philip, Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. And Philip answered, 200 denier worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. And, And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, But what are they among so many? You see, there's some things we need to understand about lack. The historical situation is that Jesus is up there on that mountain. He's been teaching. The people are hungry. They need a place to go. In the other Gospels, uh, they said, Jesus, send them away. Send them away so they can get something to eat. And he said, you feed them. He was testing Philip. (laughs) He's testing us. You see, there's a severe lack There's a severe lack in our day, too. See, the truth you need to understand is, is that Christians are always going to be confronted with lack. Did you hear that? Christian, you are always going to be confronted with lack. Here's what I mean. Anybody here got a lack of time? Okay. Anybody here got a lack of finances? Anybody here got a lack of talents, a lack of energy? The only thing I promise you, you won't have a lack of is problems. And that's the truth. But see, he did this testing Philip. What kind of response was Philip going to do? 
You see, when we see a lack, and the Holy Spirit's there letting us see that lack, He calls for a response. You know, my father-in-law said, if you had a good dog, and you want to know if you had a good dog, put a cat in front of it. Dogs hate cats. If they're a good dog, not a foo-foo dog like I have now. And if you want to see a Christian, my father-in-law said, put a need in front of them, a lack, and you'll see a Christian. Because a true Christian, under the authorship and leadership of the Holy Spirit, is going to do everything they can to meet that need, if at all possible. We're going to be confronted with lack. But here's the real truth. There's supposed to be a response of faith. You see, here's how the devil wants to twist it. The devil says, oh, it's impossible. Can you see the disciples when he said, what are we going to do? And he says, you feed them. That's impossible. They're focused on the wrong person, on the wrong thing. He wants us to focus on wrong priorities. Well, you know, I'm sort of busy, so I can't really do that. See, the devil wants us to think that the choices of life are between that which is evil or bad and that which is good. Most choices in life are between that which is good and that which is the best. Did you hear that, Christian? And we had to have a response of faith. (laughs) What are they going to do with this kid's lunch? Okay. Again, a little is a lot with Jesus. I'd sing that if I could. But I can't. Y'all are so glad. So, again, how are we to respond to this? The lacks. First of all, Compassion. I think Jesus looks and he knows they're hungry. They're very hungry. They've been sitting under his teaching. They're like sheep without a shepherd is what they're described of all the time. And it says Jesus had compassion. And to us, compassion means from the heart. But the Greek word means he gave him a bellyache. He felt it all the way in his guts, the way we'd say it today. It hurt. You ever ate bad Mexican food? You ever eat something and it made you sick for two or three days? Food poisoning? Ooh, it hurts. That's, that's compassion in the Greek. We feel it all the way down here. Makes us emotionally sick. You see, the desperate needs of the crowd are met with compassion. Most folks don't just need Help out of a situation. Most folks need somebody to come alongside them. Most folks need a hug, a prayer, a pat on the back. If you go to the nursing home, they're just glad you're there. If you go to the hospital, they're just glad you came to see them. Little kids need encourage. Come on, we're so glad you're here. Not quit that. People, why don't you make those kids mind? You leave those kids alone or you'll get on my bad side. And I do have a bad one, unfortunately. You see, it's compassion. I want those kids to know that they're welcome in our church. I want these kids to know that they can come to the front and speak at me anytime they want to. So that when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of that heart, oh, I know Brother Gary, I know Brother Ronnie, I know Brother Galen, I'm going to go talk to them. Shouldn't be so quiet. So we have compassion, but what about comparing? 
And by comparing, I mean priorities. <laughs> Here's what it is. Remember, comparing the good with the best. Okay, and I'm going to meddle, so this is free, and that's what it's worth. But does the God have the best of our time? Does God have the best of our talents? Does God have the best of our energy? Does God have the best of our finances? Does God have the best of our compassion? Does God have the best of all these things? Or does he get the leftovers? I grew up on leftovers. There's nothing wrong with them, but they're leftovers. They're not quite as good as what the original first thing was. My mama was good at leftovers. She could disguise them in all kinds of stuff. Ketchup does wonders. Y'all wonder why I eat so much ketchup. That's why. You see, are we comparing, are we prioritizing that seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And all those things we worry about, God said, I'll add to you. They'll be yours. I had a seminary professor. He taught music. He 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 could play anything he wanted. He could play in symphonies around the world. But I took him for a prayer class. Most godly man I've ever known. He took that Matthew 6 on seeking first the kingdom of God and taught on it for four weeks. One verse. And told us how that worked. Got to seminary. The car broke down. Didn't know what he was going to do. Just starting to teach. Didn't even have his first paycheck. He said, God, I came here because you said that to leave that other lucrative business and, and come here and so here I am and I'm seeking first year and your righteousness and the next day there's a new car in the driveway and that wasn't brand new but it was new to him and somebody had left the title and said this is for you and your family I heard your car broke down same thing happened uh, about two months later the washer and dryer broke down water everywhere dryer wouldn't work he said Lord I, I the next day somebody comes and said hey I have an old washer and dryer that's in good shape but I just wanted a new one Would y'all, could y'all use it and he, he began to list the things that he kept track of. And every time he had a need, because he had focused on doing what God wanted him to, every time he had a need from this physical world, God just... But it's seeking the best, not just that which is good. So you have compassion, you have comparing, and you have crucifixion. Here's where the real giving takes place. Have you given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We don't understand about lords because we don't have royalty here. Let me, let me explain it in terms that I can understand. It's the big boss. The ultimate boss. The one everybody answers to. Have we made him the boss of our life? And we check with him. Am I living according to your rules? Am I living according to your desires? Lord, I want to please you. First, and seek your righteousness. Paul says this way in Philippians 1.21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We've crucified ourselves. He said another way in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He said this, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know the problem with a living sacrifice? It doesn't want to stay on the altar. 
It keeps crawling off. So you had to crucify daily the old man because it's a sin nature. Have we given Jesus that part of life? Oh, you're just talking crazy, pastor. You're just living in a different world. Well, you better get ready because if you're a Christian, you're going to live in a different world too. And now's the preparation time. If you're a Christian, you're headed to heaven, which is going to be the eternal home. And now is your dress rehearsal. Don't just think you're going to sit up there and strum on a harp. That would be boring for all eternity. I'm sorry. I like harp music too, but not an eternity of it. You're going to have jobs to do in heaven, just as I'm going to have a job to do. Won't be preaching. Poor Brother Ronnie, he's still going to be conducting the choir. (laughs) I find that hilarious, but, you know, sorry, brother. Because all the music guys I know tell me, yeah, we'll have a job up there. You won't. And I said, no, you're going to have the same job. I'm going to have a new one. Maybe I'll get a voice that I can sing. Maybe be growing vegetables, you know. All I grow now is weeds and bugs. Amen to that. That's right. Can't hit the broadside of a barn. Maybe God will let me have a big deer up there. Catch some fish like Robert Simmons does down here. I don't know, you know. Herb says he does, but I hadn't seen Herb's picture, so I don't know about Herb. Is Herb here this morning? Where's he at? All right. There he is, right on the front row. Oh, Beth got a hold of you. But you get the, you get the deal. You're supposed to be preparing to live forever with Jesus. And if you're not doing it now, I'm asking why not? You see, this isn't real life. This is not our home. This is sin-filled life. This is a broken world. We're going to a place where everything's fixed, everything's perfect. We've been perfected by the blood of Jesus Christ, and we're to grow in Him. Last thing, guys, I know you're ready to get out of here and eat on time, so I better hurry up. The lad, the lack, and the Lord. That was bad. You can't swallow and talk at the same time. Jesus steps in and takes over. Basically, we need to surrender because here's the boy, and he surrenders his lunch to Jesus. We need to surrender some things to Jesus today. Our lives, our lunches, our situations. But Jesus uses, I want you to get that, Jesus uses what is obediently given for his purposes. Jesus uses what is obediently given for his purpose. He, he's there. And, and can you imagine the 5,000 and their families and women and children sitting there? He starts passing out uh, the bread and the fish out of two loaves and five loaves of, or two, two fish and five loaves of bread. And 5,000 are fed. He said, gather up. Each one gets a basket. Now, I had this picture of this big old basket. Like, like some people carry on their head, you know. No, the basket in that day was about that big is, is what you'd put your lunch in. But he said the baskets were full. All 12 of the guys got a full basket. Is your basket full? Have you been given enough to Jesus that he's filled your basket? Does your basket look pretty empty? The final thing that I want to tell you is this. It's another equation. Me plus God. You're not writing it down. Me plus God equal more than enough. Whatever he's calling you to do, you quit waiting on other folks. You quit 
thinking that you can't do it. You quit thinking that you're not qualified. You quit thinking of da-da-da-da-da, whatever excuse you give. Me plus God equals enough. God could do it on his own, but he likes to include us for the blessing. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe, maybe you're here today and Satan wants to steal your lunch to ruin your life. And you don't want to let him. Some of you are under Satan's grasp because you've never publicly accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And you need to do that this morning. Some need to come to join the church by baptism or letter or statement. Some need to surrender. Some need to come into rededication. Some need to forgive other folks. Whatever it is, are you willing to surrender to Jesus? See, he's going to take us, use us and our resources for his glory. Man, everybody knew who Jesus was when they did that miracle. Do you know who Jesus is? Are you needing the miracle? I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand. You come as you need to come. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for these folks. Thank you for their giving their time because they could have been anywhere else. Lord, they love you, so they're here. So, Father, I just ask that your will and only your will be done during this time and that Jesus be glorified with our decisions. In Christ's name, amen.